Hello, and welcome to this episode of Ask a Physical Therapist. I'm your host, Dr. Tannis Kitchener, physical therapist. Today, I'm thrilled to invite Dr. Richard Burt onto the show. Dr. Burt is a Fulbright Scholar, Professor of Medicine at Scripps, a tenured retired professor at Northwestern, and a CEO of Janani Biotechnology, and was the principal investigator of a NIH multi-center contract to develop stem cell clinical trials for autoimmune diseases. Dr. Burt has performed America's first hematopoietic stem cell transplant for multiple sclerosis, scleroderma, systemic lupus erythematosus, Crohn's disease, stiff person syndrome, rheumatoid arthritis, and chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy. He's also published the world's first randomized clinical stem cell transplantation trials for systemic sclerosis and multiple sclerosis. I have just finished reading Dr. Burt's book, Everyday Miracles, Curing Multiple Sclerosis, Scleroderma, and Autoimmune Diseases by Hematopoietic Stem Cell Transplant. And it's given me some great insight on what's possible in the world of treatment for some autoimmune diseases that I haven't seen in my career, and I'm thrilled to have him on the show. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Burt. Thank you for having me. So I think a good place to start for the listeners is... Let's talk about what multiple sclerosis is briefly and the different types that listeners might be aware of or have family members that could be dealing with. So I think the best way of summarizing it is as patients have, um, that is uh, losing who you are. It's an autoimmune or immune-mediated destruction of parts of your brain and spinal cord that is the central nervous system. Uh, it varies with different people and to which parts are affected, and it happens at different times uh, and then can remit and then can start again at another part of the brain. It's traditionally not curable, um, and you you know, you kind of have to deal with this for the rest of your life and be on medications to try to slow the progression or deterioration in your um, neurologic abilities and mental functions. And again, it's losing who you are because, as the philosopher Rene Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. Well, if you start losing your mind, you start, or parts of it, you start losing who you are. Your ability to interact with the outside world, to see, to hear, to speak, to listen, to walk, to feel vibration or heat or cold or pain, all these things depend on the central nervous system and as parts of that are lost, you lose those abilities, the ability to control your bladder. Uh, is, you know, any function that is controlled, that controls your body through your central nervous system can be damaged or lost uh, in this disease. I really appreciate it in your book how you brought the patient-centered view in so many different aspects, the emotional aspect, the physical aspect, the support that they leaned on from family and what it's like if they didn't have that. So anybody who's interested in reading about different cases, different patients that Dr. Burke speaks specifically about that are dealing with MS and some of the other diseases that we talked about, scleroderma um, and stiff person syndrome and a few others, 
please look into the book. It's Everyday Miracles, Curing Multiple Sclerosis, Scleroderma, and Autoimmune Diseases by Hematopoietic Stem Cell Transplant. And from a more technical aspect, in your book you write, multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune-mediated destruction of the myelin that surrounds and protects neurons within the brain and spinal cord, and which are together called the central nervous system. When the myelin is destroyed, the neurons become dysfunctional and begin to degenerate. And you write that MS begins in 90% of cases as a relatively reversible demyelinating disease that is called relapsing remitting. But eventually, in some and most cases, it will become neurodegenerative. And at that point, we call it secondary progressive MS. So it sounds like you're seeing some really good success in the treatments that you've developed, mostly for the relapsing remitting phase of MS, correct? Yes, that's correct. So this type of therapy is actually an immune reset. It's not a neuroregenerative therapy. So what it does is it resets your immune system. And when I first started doing it, it was based on 10 years of work in animal models of autoimmune diseases, including models, animal models for MS, and then eventually took it to the patient's bedside. And um, it does do that. But the key is the selection of the conditioning regimen, which has to be designed for each autoimmune disease. Now, a conditioning regimen is what knocks down that old immune system and to allow the reset from the stem cells, the immune stem cells or the blood stem cells of a new immune system. And the other important key, which is different for each autoimmune disease, is the selection of patients. So for MS, because this is an immune reset process, you want to get it while still an immune-mediated disease. And 90% of MS begins as an immune-mediated relapsing remitting type of disease uh, because standard therapies just slow the rate of neurologic uh, progression or worsening but don't stop it or don't reverse it. Eventually, given enough time, uh, people end up with secondary progressive, which is predominantly neurodegenerative, at which point no immune reset therapy or, for that matter, immune modulatory therapy or immune suppressive therapy, which are what all these drugs are given that people take for MS, will work. At that point, um, you know, you, the ability to, to stop this disease uh, is gone. It's kind of like the horse has left the barn and it's too late to come and close the door to, to save it. So um, the goal here is if, if a person's having a fairly... Uh, progressive course, progressive in terms of frequent relapses and not well controlled by a current MS drug is then we would uh, take them through a stem cell transplant and we'd stop all immune-based and immune-suppressive and immune-modulating drugs afterwards. And it has, you know, we reported this and we did it in papers showing five-year outcomes, but in and then we kind of stopped following the patients. But in writing this book, I was—I just randomly was calling patients who were 10, 15, 20, the longest 21 years post our stem cell transplant, and not a single one of them. Now, it's not a systematic review. It's just haphazard uh, talking to patients uh, that I included in the book. Yeah, but every single one of them was still in remission on no drugs. They got better, and they stayed better. And... Uh, so to you know, I realized I really do need to go back sometime and give this long-term follow-up beyond 10, 15, 20 years to show how these patients are doing. But we had shown that within 
over a five-year period using the uh, the regimen we had finally ended up uh, selecting as the best regimen with the least toxicity but the best efficacy, that it, uh, you know, about 78% of patients are in remission at five years. And pretty much after that, it seems like most of them seem to stay in remission without any more medications with uh, considerable recovery of neurologic function and uh, return of a lot of normal abilities. Now, how much they get back depends upon how extensive the damage was before we started. Uh, you know, there, you know how far they had gone towards entering into secondary progressive MS, and um, there's no clear time when you suddenly wake up and you've gone from relapsing and remitting to secondary progressive. It's a kind of a gradual transition, and it's often diagnosed retrospectively by the neurologist looking back knowing that, well, now they're in secondary progressive, but when that occurred over, you know, the last few years is often not exactly clear. And so, you know, if if we can get them when they're relapsing, remitting with frequent relapses, they seem to do very well and get off medications. And they get results that none of these drugs do because not only are they no longer dependent on drugs, but they get improvement in neurologic disability very significant improvement, which is not seen with any of the drugs. And of course, the quality of life improves, which is not seen with any of the drugs. Now, I have to put a caveat in there in that a few of the drugs, the more aggressive, more recent drugs, like Lemtrada and Ocrevus and Tysabri, those are pretty strong immune-suppressive drugs. They do improve quality of life in the analysis, but the improvement on the SF36, which is the standard quality of life uh, questionnaire, is at most two points, and that's a meaningless improvement to any one patient. The uh, the SF36 goes from zero to 100, and the, the, it has to improve by five points for a patient to notice a change in his or her quality of life. So a two-point improvement in the study cohort is of no meaning to a patient, but if you do a large number of patients, it's clinically significant. Uh, compared to a placebo or to another weaker first-generation drug. So they'll say quality of life improved, but that's a statistical improvement. It's a otherwise clinically meaningless improvement, whereas after transplant, we see 15, 20, 25-point improvements of quality of life, which makes sense if you improve neurologically, get function back, that you lost and you never thought you'd get back and get off the drugs and all their toxicities and problems, uh, that your quality of life does improve. So it is a, a kind of a, a revolution in the treatment of these diseases. And in this book, I talk not just about multiple sclerosis, but about scleroderma and chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy or polyradiculoneuropathy, which is the uh, peripheral nervous system equivalent of MS in which your immune system attacks your peripheral nerves, not the spine or brain, not the central nervous system, but the peripheral nerves. Uh, I also talk about neuromyelitis optica. It's a demyelinating disease of brain and spinal cord that is much more rare than MS and can be much more aggressive. Uh, and I talk about Crohn's disease and that we're seeing these, uh, you know, I talked to patients we treated uh, 10, 15, 20 years out who are doing, continue to do very well, and it's kind of a telling their stories. So I almost called this uh, Patients, Profiles, and Courage. But, mm-hmm. you know, 
President John Kennedy wrote a book, Profiles in Courage, so I didn't want to do that. But that's really what it is, interspersed with explaining the disease and the treatment and how I developed it. Um, but, you know, it highlights what these patients have gone through and then what happened to them after the transplant and how it changed their lives. And what it really has done is it's taken these chronic diseases, so all these autoimmune diseases, you're just on kind of chronic immune suppressive therapy, but you don't. there's no definition for a cure because nobody's ever had that opportunity, that privilege where they think they've been able to cure it. You just, the, the drugs just slow the rate of, de- of deterioration. It slows the disease, doesn't reverse it, and doesn't stop it. But these, this transplant procedure done in the right group of patients with the right regimen has resulted in these very long-term 10, 15, 20-year improvements with reversal of neurologic disability or marked improvement in quality of life and no further medical treatments for the disease. And uh, that is changing the natural history of these diseases. And, uh, you know, it has a marked uh, change in the, in the psychology of the patients and in their lives. And, um, you know, a lot of the patients for all autoimmune diseases uh suffered through almost like being in a chronic war or a chronic battle. And like any soldier, you know, on a chronic battle, once you're out of that battle scenario and you're back in your home country and, and you're out of that, there's a post, there's PTSD, uh, you know, that sets in and the kind of the mind and the soul has to recover from that trauma. And I've seen that in uh, not infrequently in patients too. That once they're finally free of this disease, they have to recover from post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. In the old days, it used to be called, you know, World War One. It was called shell shock because you know they were in the trenches, just being bombed with shells, and the mind hunkers down. And you survive going through it, but once you're relieved from that and uh, you're out of that environment back home all that psychological recovery has to occur. And so these patients have chronic disease, taking chronic drugs, losing things they never thought they'd get back, and then being treatment-free and getting these functions back will also still have to recover, uh, mostly through uh, supportive relationships uh, and uh, other type of uh, interactions with people uh, from PTSD, from having had to deal with with these chronic diseases for often extended period of time and uh, uh, despite very expensive treatments, you know, only seeing themselves getting worse. Sure. So one of the reasons I wrote this book, though, is that I have found as I've done this that there's just tremendous confusion out there, both in the medical community and the lay public, about this therapy. And so I wanted to get it out. Uh, Before doing this, I wrote a medical textbook that was 686 pages published in November of 2021 for researchers and physicians and, and medical professionals. But again, that, you know, so patients are very bright. They read up on their diseases, on their particular chapters. They'll get a lot out of it by reading the medical textbook. But I wanted to write in a way that uh, the, could patients and non-medical professionals would understand to empower them. Um, and that's why I wrote this lay book. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually uh, very uh, glad that I had the opportunity to do it. And it was one of the most enjoyable and honest things I've done in my academic career. 
That's so exciting. It's it's so rewarding to bring extra knowledge to the community where people actually can be affected by it, which is part of why we're even doing the show. And again, thank you for taking your time to be on this show. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. and Professor Richard Burt, MD. Uh, we're discussing information from his book, Everyday Miracles, Curing Multiple Sclerosis, Scleroderma, and Autoimmune Diseases by Hematopoietic Stem Cell Transplant. And if you've missed the beginning, you're always welcome to go back to the podcast format and play it from the beginning. So we've talked a little bit about what MS is, how it seems to affect folks um, in a variety of ways, as well as some of the other autoimmune diseases that he's found and developed treatment plans for using hematopoietic stem cells so that folks can actually get off of long-term medications. As a medical provider, I have to say I hesitate to pick up a book that's a medical book that uses the word miracle and curing um, in relation to disease that I've been taught are not curable. You know, so I I have to be honest, I open this with a a little bit of hesitancy and also a sense of adventure and excitement to see what is this really about. And I was not even a quarter of the way through. And I was so excited that what is in here is, uh, like you said, revolutionary and well established in the literature and done by, you know, yourself who has got such a well established career and everything is done with the name of science, meaning it's done appropriately to show benefit, show risk profile. Um, develop who it's appropriate for. And those are all so necessary for this type of uh, treatment shift in our policy. Can we talk a little bit more about the treatment itself and what it is? Absolutely. But I want to go back and say those are very astute and good points. I actually struggled with that myself in the title of the book and using the word cure because I've never used that word before. I'm always hesitant to do that. Um, and I say in the book, I've never used it before, mm-hmm. and I want to put it as a caveat also, even though I put it in the title. But after now, in writing this book, talking to patients who are 10, 15, 20 years out, got better, stayed better, no more drugs and no more uh, evidence of any active uh, MS or any of the other five autoimmune diseases that I discussed, I say maybe we ought to start thinking that we, you know, there is no definition or accepted definition for cure. There's no biological marker that we can say has disappeared in a patient with MS before versus after. So I still hesitate using that, but after seeing such long-term treatment-free remissions with improvement, you you have to start wondering uh, if we can start thinking that way. And in fact, we certainly have changed the natural history of the disease. Now, when I say there's no biological marker, that's true, but I can put a little caveat in there. For MS, we don't have a biological marker for the disease, but we do know that the vast majority of patients with MS have oligoclonal bands in their CSF when they do a lumbar puncture and take a little bit of the fluid out of the central uh, you know, nervous system there. Uh, it's called cerebral spinal fluid, or CSF, and it has oligoclonal bands, which you don't see in a normal person. And... When I did my randomized trial where we compared transplant to the best available drugs out there, um, in which their assessment was done by a blinded neurologist, we ran it at four centers here in America and in Uppsala, Sweden, 
and in the UK at the University of Sheffield and the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil. And at the un, uh, at Uppsala University, just outside of Stockholm, uh, they would actually do lumbar punctures after the transplant. And what they've shown in a separate, separate paper in a small number of patients, but uh, what they showed is that these patients did clinically go into remission. There's no new attacks, no new neurologic disability. They got better. They stayed better. No new lesions in MRI. We've shown that as well. But they did the, by doing the lumbar punctures, they showed that about eight years after the transplant, somewhere between eight to ten years out, without any more drugs and remaining in clinical remission, the alkylclonal bands disappear wow. and the CSF goes back to normal. They also, we have also shown, we, we collected peripheral blood lymphocytes on the patients before and after and uh, with colleagues and looked at uh, the change in the repertoire of those lymphocytes. And the lymphocytes which mediate disease in the peripheral blood are skewed. They're also algoclonal and that repertoire reverts towards normal over time in the peripheral blood as well. But importantly, it does in the CSF. So although nobody says we have a biological marker for MS, and I agree we don't, the closest thing we have, but nobody's ever thought that it would go away or bother to, to monitor mm -hmm. it for response to treatment, what we've found is after this treatment, although it, it lags almost a decade behind the treatment itself, is it that it reverts to normal. So that's also encouraging. And then there's another disease I talk about in the book, about in the book called neuromyelitis optica. It's commonly called Devick's disease because it was first reported by a physician named Devick. He was a French physician, and that's back in like, oh, I think it was 1894. And he had a patient come to him, and had she had uh, a transverse myelitis and uh, optic neuritis or poor vision, and in weeks had died from being normal to dying within weeks from this. And at autopsy, what they found was demyelination in long segments of the spinal cord and in the uh, optic tract of the eyes. But the brain itself was normal. So it was like MS, except the brain itself, mm -hmm. the cerebrum, the cerebellum, and the brain stem itself normal, which is unusual for MS. So they didn't know if this was a severe, very severe, acute form of MS, or if this was a different demyelinating type of disease. It was given the name Devix, and whether it was just a severe form of MS or a different disease persisted until 1999, more than 100 years later, when Mayo Clinic discovered an antibody to uh, astrocytes that occurs in this disease. It's an antibody to aquaporin-4, and that is unique for MS, and that titer correlates with the severity or frequency of attacks that a person gets. And so that, for that particular autoimmune diseases, now, you, you know, uh, neuromyelitis optica is a much more uh, rare disease in MS. It used to be considered a subset of MS. Now we recognize it's a different disease. It's not attacking the oligodendrocytes. It's attacking the astrocytes, a different type of cell in the central nervous system. And there's an antibody that the immune system has developed that targets a receptor on astrocytes, aquaporin-4. And uh, in... The, the, I'm actually going to inter I'm going to interrupt you real the, quick because I want to make sure we have time to okay, get to ahead. some treatment. So, but what I'm hearing is that you have investigated several different autoimmune diseases that all present with lots of different implications for patients, but you have found a means to treat several of them, which is 
like you said, revolutionary and in ways that hadn't been used before. So I just want to make sure that we're understanding correctly. It sounds like you're doing a conditioning regimen, which is something that actually helps to eliminate most of the immune cells that might be causing the disease. Is that correct? That's the start of the treatment. And then you follow it up with um, hematopoietic stem cell transplantation, which hematopoietic stem cells are stem cells drawn from the blood specifically. Um, And I believe in your book, you speak mostly about taking that from the patient itself. So you're not taking stem cells from somebody else and putting them in your patient. It's uh, the patient donates their own blood and you derive the stem cells from that. And then you give it back to them after you've um, conditioned the immune system, correct? That is correct. Okay. How long is the immune system impaired for after that treatment? So the critical window when the WBC, the neutrophils are low, and that leaves you prone to bacterial infection, is about seven to eight days. So you usually drop, you know, one day after the stem cell infusion, which is given one day of the last day of the conditioning regimen, which is usually about five or six days in length. And then about eight or nine days after that, your counts come up and you're discharged. So the whole hospital stays about 15 days. And uh, because there's no mucositis or other type of generally organ injury, uh, it's fairly well tolerated, but there is always that risk of a bacterial infection during that period. Then once those come up, the recovery of the lymphocytes, which fight fungus and viruses, occurs gradually over about a year to 18 months, but we very rarely have any type of real problems with that. We do give patients an oral antibiotic prophylaxis of you know, three different oral antibiotics for the first uh, three to six months, then we just continue one for viruses for a year and then stop it. But most people are feeling great, and it's only something you'd pick up if you do a CBC and then you look at lymphocytes and lymphocyte subsets because those recover in different subsets, recover over a period of time, over one to two years, but uh, until they reach normal levels. But people generally don't have any uh, infections from it while it's doing that. Wow. So, you know, max one to three years of impairment compared to being on immune suppressant drugs your whole life to treat this. Well, it's an impairment at a point where it becomes where you're analyzing the immune system at a way that a regular clinician in the office would not analyze it, you know, where you're looking at different lymphocyte subsets. But clinically, it's not an impairment in that they're not having infection. Wow. Uh, So so there's quite a difference in that. And importantly, it's a non-myeloblative regimen. So we don't have to give the hematopoietic stem cell back. They'll recover just fine because the regimens are immune specific and they don't damage the stem cell mm-hmm. compartment itself. The so it sounds like them back. it sounds like we might need to do a part two. <laughs> yeah, but the reason we collect them and give them back is it has shortness of periods of neutropenia. Anyway, very quickly back to the other point, in a Devix or neuromyelitis optica, that antibody disappears in the majority of the patients after transplant. And there's no other treatment that's ever been shown to do that. Not only did they go in remission with this one-time treatment, but the antibody disappears from the blood in the vast majority. Wow. And they go in and stay in remission. Thank you, Dr. Burt, for joining us. And to the listeners, please join us next month for part two.